Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The Terminal is a 2004 movie about Tom Hanks getting stuck in an airport. It's a movie that does have mental health themes that we'll be discussing today with our guests, Paul and Emma from Mental Heads Podcast. Uh, Mental Heads Podcast dot co dot uk or mentalheads.co.uk. Now, if you would like to listen to this podcast as a commentary track, go ahead and queue up the movie and I will be on the other side of the pause button. I did want to mention that this podcast is a commentary track format for a, a very specific reason is that if you have someone to go to the movies with, if you have someone to watch a movie with, then movie watching is a social activity. If you do not, then movie watching is a solitary activity, which can be stressful, can be traumatic potentially, and so I will watch the movie with you. And our guests here today, Paul and Emma, will be watching the movie with you as well. It might not be the whole length of the movie, but we will be here with you as well. So when I say that you are not alone, you will have evidence that you are not alone. I did also want to mention that if you are triggered by any of the, the material in the movie, there are a couple different text lines to make note of. If you are in the US, you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. If you're in the UK, you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. Um, Paul and Emma, were there any others that I, that you would make note of? Any any other crisis text lines that you're aware of? We usually recommend the Samaritan line, the yeah. text line. I feel awful to say off the top of my head, I don't know what that is. But I tend to ask people to Google it. But the Samaritans have got a great website, and they have phone numbers here that people can call. Um, and they also do have a text line, but they do have a phone number here. And we have lots of volunteers who work for the Samaritans here. So what people can do now is they can actually get someone at the end of the phone to speak to, which is great. Good deal. Good deal. Now, the, the terminal, not many people know, is based on a true story. And based on a true story might be... Um, might be an exaggeration, inspired by a true story might be more accurate. There was an Iranian refugee, Merhan Nasseri, who was living in the Charles de Gaulle airport from approximately August of 1988 to August 2006. And he was eventually granted his uh, papers for admittance into France I believe, but he objected to being listed as an Iranian on the paperwork that he was granted. So 
Um, just a little fun fact as, as we're watching the movie. Now, um, I, I, I did want to um, bring Paul and Emma on. And first of all, I did want to thank you for, um, th thank, you, thank you for your time. I, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, so what, um, what, um, what prompted you to, what, what was the in initial diagnosis or starting point or what was um, the entry point as it were on your, your mental health journey? Shall I start? Yep. Um, mine was a little bit unusual. Um, back in 2017, uh, I went to my GP and I was prescribed uh, an antidepressant. Um, don't need to go into the reasons why uh, I ended up there, but I took the antidepressant and I had a reaction to it um, only after a few days. And then what followed was nearly 18 months of fighting to be believed that the medication had affected me and given me a side effect. But as the whole 18 months snowballed, things got worse and worse and worse. And therefore I was in and out of mental hospitals. Firstly, in the private sector. Um, in this country, you go obviously into private hospital if you have insurance. And then part of my hospital stay was in the NHS, which is the National Health Service here, which is our government run um, hospital system. And um, eventually, after 18 months nearly, finally I got to a fantastic psychiatrist who uh, believed me after um, a few meetings with him and appointments. And um, he got me on the right track, uh, got me on the right medication and um, started to get me on the road to recovery. Um, but it was a misdiagnosis that I fought for nearly 18 months. And the diagnosis was severe depression and psychosis. And the psychosis was the thought that I was so obsessed, the medication could have done the damage. So that was that. So it was nearly seven months in and out of mental hospitals lots of misdiagnoses, lots of wrong medication, uh, electroconvulsive therapy, which we'll probably talk about because that's covered in films. Yeah. And um, that freaks people out when you even hear about it. And that was my story really. So um, it was a very sad um, 18 months really, pretty traumatic, but finally getting out the other side of it. So, um, and the reason why we wanted to do the podcast, because I thought, well, I've got, to, I've learned a lot along the way. We talked about me being immersed in a system. I've learned so much and I want to help people who may have been in the same situation, but haven't got the voice to shout out. So that's oh, my story. Definitely. What, what about, what about you, Paul? Well, mine's, mine's a little different is, um, you know, I was over in the U S for 10 years, uh, in the aviation sector. And it's one of these things that I've had a mask on for many years because it was like you, especially in the States where really you can't show any kind of weakness. Um, you know, it's a very fast uh, going over there, work hard, play hard, I call it. Over there, um, you know, I don't know where the hours go. There's no nine till five for sure like there are in Europe. But, you know, it happened in about 2000 and. 15 where the cracks what they call this a mask and i don't know if they use the terminology over in the in the in the u.s but it's like you put it on to fake your way through the day and it's difficult and 
I've, I've had this very much all my life depression, but I've hidden behind this mask. And in 2016, no, 15, late 15, going into 16, um, I knew that I needed to go and get help. So lucky enough, um, I am able to, America taught me a lot when I lived there is, um, you know, private health care is the way to go. And I'm very lucky to have it here. It's expensive, just like the States. But over here, we've got a chance of socialized medicine as well, which is, you know, offered for free. But one thing I did bring home from the States is that health is very important and getting the right doctors, getting the right treatment is very important. So I went to my doctor who referred me on to my psychiatrist and I ended up in a mental hospital or as you would say, a mental health clinic. And I was in there for all in total Oh, I've got to think 16, 16 weeks, 16 weeks on and off over a period of about three years. So, do you know, it's the best thing I've ever, uh, ever done in my life. It, you know, I was very lucky to be there. As I say, uh, the therapy was great. And, um, you know, I'm here now to, you know, talk out about it on podcasts and things like that, because it's all about giving back. And my diagnosis Definitely. is depression with um, a mood disorder, uh, which is quite difficult to deal with. But as I say this to people, and some people don't get this, you've got to treat it like your best friend. And because you've got to, you know, they get you to think about what's happening, um, checking in with yourself in the morning, because you don't know how one morning is going to be to the next. You can have some rough days. You can have good days. And it's all about tuning into your body. And, and this is something that takes a long time to do. And it's because of the therapy I've had. Yes. So, so what I'm saying about, you know, when we decided to do this podcast, it was two years in the making before, before I decided to, you know, go on and do something to help other people because other people are not as fortunate as we are. And if you can help one person, and we've all been around losing people to suicide, and we felt that being honest, I, I'm very, I, I do get um, angry with the fact it's okay for therapists to come on and, and um, uh, you know, other kind of uh, medical people. But psychiatrists, that's what I was trying to think of. Mm -hmm. And But this is real life. We've been through it. We've been through what it's like to go into a mental hospital. We've been, we, we've been through therapy. We, you know, we have lived it. And so has Emma to each extreme. For me, the private sector. For Emma, the private sector and the NHS. And it, it's better for us, I found. People, we've had loads of feedback from people who say, do you know what? I get it. And when we interview people, they say the reason we're going to in, we allow you to interview us because you understand exactly what we're going through. Definitely. You know, we're not doctors and we're not psychiatrists out of textbooks because if someone's got anxiety, 10 different people could have all types of anxiety. One glove does not fit all. And, and this is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're speaking out, you know, and um, we want to help people. Definitely. And, and I, I'm very grateful that you are speaking up 
and grateful that you are providing that that resource for people. So again, I, I want to thank you for um, coming on here. I, I did want to ask you, and, and for those who are watching the movie as you're listening to the podcast, the um, in the terminal, the, the the Tom Hanks character cannot return home in in the the, the context of the movie because there was a, a violent overthrow, a, a coup in his country, and so he's caught in a bureaucratic snafu where he's essentially not able to enter. New York City, and so a Homeland Security officer played by Stanley Tucci confines him to the lounge of this airport. Now, on that point, as it relates to mental health, what and you had mentioned uh, masks also um, in yeah. the, the term in the U.S. Much like how Victor, the, the Tom Hanks character in, in the Terminal, cannot go home you know, on, on a literal geopolitical reason because his country's got a coup and, and so he's legally prohibited. But there's undoubtedly some parallel to the mental health journey because once you have a diagnosis, once you've navigated through those different options, there's an element of being in that waiting room, like like the Tom Hanks character in, in the movie, there's an element of, of a lot of waiting, an element of miscommunication. Um, can, can you speak to that at all as far as when you were navigating, how much, how much waiting was there? How much miscommunication did you encounter before you, you, before you got the answer from the, from the right psychiatrist? Oh. I've probably got a, a longer answer. Um, I would say from the moment I knew things had gone wrong, it was April 2017. And the moment that uh, the last glimmer of hope was in July 2018. So what had happened is when you've gone from April 17 to July 18, and no one's believed you, you know, no one, no one professionally, you know, Paul believed me when I met him in hospital. Um, I had some close friends that did believe me. Um, my oldest friend um, and other friends did believe me. A lot didn't. So professionally wise, um, it was, yeah, it was 16, 17 months. Um, and no one believed it. And I mean, I'm talking about probably over 15 professionals, you know, a lot of consultants, um, GPs, uh, other healthcare workers, nurses in hospital. Um, but the, when, it, when it comes to the professionals, when I'm talking about the psychiatrists, they're the ones that should have been listening. You know, the nurses in hospital were lovely, but they're not there to diagnose. They're there to support, keep safe and talk. But when it comes to the people with the qualifications, they wouldn't listen. And even when they listened and believed that I had an intellectual argument about what was wrong, they still wouldn't listen. And I had tribunals on the NHS, once your section, which means that you are forced into the NHS. So you go in because they believe that's the best place for you to be. You're allowed to appeal your, um, I don't know how to describe it really, your sectioning. You're allowed to appeal to say, look, these are the reasons why I shouldn't be in here. And I appealed it. And you're in front of three people. It's like a jury. You know, you've got a judge and two others. And 
My notes even say that she put across a fantastic case. She is truly, you know, her, her, you know, more or less they were saying, you know, her head's in the place that she presents a great argument. She's very cohesive. She has presented all the evidence. However, on the basis of everything else, she is depressed and psychotic. Problem is, is everyone was looking at all the old notes. My notes followed me wherever I went. And when it came to it, the last psychiatrist, who is my doctor now and has been for two years, he's the only one that started afresh, didn't take anyone else's view on board. And the number one thing is he just listened. He listened to what I said, because as we were talking about, you know, language difficulties and not being able to speak the same language, all my doctors I spoke to spoke English, but I might as well have been speaking another language because everything I said, they contradicted or didn't understand. So my psychiatrist now is the only one that actually listened, listened, heard what I was saying and acted on that to get me well. Have you encountered, and on that point, because I, I know I've encountered this repeatedly, where the doctor speaks in strictly clinical terms, as though they were talking with one of their bosses or, or um, supervisors, and, and they don't really put it in easy-to-understand words, basically. Have you encountered that at all, where... They, for example, um, I had mentioned the, the, for example, the term psychotropic medication. Many people hear the word psychotropic and it, it doesn't really, because it's not a commonly used term, for example. Yeah. Have you encountered that where the, the communication is coming in the form of very clinical language as opposed to more commonly understood usage or have you, have you not encountered that? No, not at all, actually. But what you've got to remember as well is each step along the way, I was doing my research as I went. You know, I'm not saying Google's the best place, but what I was doing, and I can navigate quite well around Google. You know, you can decipher what is probably you should be looking at and what you shouldn't. And you've got to be wary of certain blogs about mental health and, you know, forums, etc. But every step of the way, I... I educated myself on what medication I was given, what the side effects were, what I was going into. So I was constantly researching. I was a TV producer and part of my old job was researching and, and covering all bases. And I was doing that every step of the way. So every step of the way I went, um, I had the information. But I'll be honest, no one ever really bamboozled me with, with terminology. But I don't know because... You know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm highly, highly intelligent, but I've got a brain in my head yeah. so I could communicate. But I think people wouldn't be able to necessarily communicate, even if it was simple medical language. Yeah. One of, and you said a key word, uh, research. And for me, that is something that goes hand in hand with recovery. Because why would, at least for me, why would someone not want to research and know everything they want, they, they can find out about a condition, about a diagnosis? So that's something that I'm glad you mentioned that because research is, is so important, um, whether it's resources provided by, by your doctor, whether it's credible resources. And, and again, you touched on that as well, because that is a huge pet peeve of mine where people just believe everything they find on the internet 
and that's not always the most reliable source. Granted, there are reliable sources on the internet, but just because it's on the internet does not mean that it's gospel. So I, I'm so I'm so glad that you mentioned that because research is. It can be a dangerous resource. But what about you? I mean, did you find that you're you're a quite a different personality to me? Once you were given diagnoses, did you want to know more about it or? See, people don't understand. And I think you may understand what I'm going to say. America taught me a lot of things when it comes down to doctors. And that is to ask questions. Ask questions. Now, that might sound odd to the average American. But in the UK, under National Health Service, you don't really question the doctors. It is how it is. Well, what you guys taught me is to handle the doctors a totally different way. And what I found is that I was lucky with the way I had a good doctor over here who's a private doctor, and she referred me to someone she knew very well and who she sent family members to and close friends to her, and uh, that was our uh, psychiatrist. And I think the thing is, you've got to keep it basic with some people. This is the diagnosis. This is what it is. And explain it, you know, where they can, each person, you know, they, people find it hard to understand certain things. But I think it's all about keeping it basic. Keeping it basic, getting the good understanding. And that is what our psychiatrist is all about, really. Instead of talk, 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 he listens and listens and listens. Um, so then, you know, it, it's all about, what I would say is asking the right questions, which people in the UK tend not to do. Definitely. Well, well Paul, I wanted to ask you, are you familiar with, because you've been in the U US, yeah. you mentioned, have you heard the term, and I, I hesitate to use this word, because I, I, I'm not a fan of this word being used in the context it is used in the US, the word consumer. And what I mean by that is not necessarily a consumer in the literal dictionary sense of the word, meaning you go to a store, you buy a loaf of bread, you're a consumer. But the word consumer in many mental health uh, avenues is construed to mean a consumer of mental health services. Yeah. Have you, have you come across that, that term at all? Oh, I have heard that word. Um, over there but not getting off track with you what people have got to understand with the states hospitals are a business end of the day you know when you're over there and something goes seriously wrong you end up with 12 letters through your door you know <laughs> yeah. from every yeah. every um, everyone who's touching from an emergency room to the ambulance ride in you know everyone's got their hand in the pot in the states because that's what it's all about with private health here, after I pay my subscription every month, we don't see a bill. <laughs> it's all taken care of. Yeah. And then we may get something coming through saying this has been paid for you. That's it. But I think when you're getting back to mental health in the States, it's all about cost. And I think with mental health here, yes, 
you can get a national health service, which is good. But the thing with socialised medicine, the budgets are not good enough for mental health. Mm. And sure. what I find, you know, I'm not just coming on here to say private health is the way to go in the UK because I'm not. But I rather sacrifice a holiday, a vacation, and pay for my health care than rely on the NHS. But that's me. Not right. everyone can have that uh, privilege. And do you know what's very sad? We've spoken to a couple of people recently who have said, you know, I'm not getting the help in the NHS. And I know from coming across them on forums, there's, you know, that they're not big earners. And they said, but can you explain how to get some private care? And I've had to sadly say, you're not going to get it because it's on your records now. In the National Health Service, if you've been to an NHS doctor here for mental health, when you try to get covered privately, they'll ask you, what have you had issues with in the last few years? And as soon as you flag up, it can be that you had a knee operation. But if you said, I've been under the NHS for mental health, you won't get covered privately. You can pay privately, but you can't get cover. It won't be covered, like Paul says, you pay your monthly bill and then you get cover. Um, it goes and uh, you can't be covered for something that you've already been under the NHS for. So it's very sad because people get to a stage where they think, right, I'm really, I am now going to prioritise and use some of my money that I've saved up for something to get private healthcare. But once you've been in the NHS and your mental health is on record, you won't get cover. Right. You may get cover, and you know, four or five years in, but you won't get cover. Correct. And, and both of what you're, you're, you're stating, I, I'm so glad you um, agreed to come on because for the very reasons you stated in the U.S., especially in the U.S., and, and keeping it specific to mental health, um, everything that, 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 Paul, everything you're stating can often be, well, not often, but <laughs> quite frequently can be very discouraging. And when someone is looking for treatment and is banging their head against a wall to get help, like you said, asking the right questions and, and finding those resources. So I, I, I'm so grateful that, that, that you come on the show so that people know that just because certain, just because it's the way it is in the U.S., for those who live in the U.S. does not mean that it's the be-all and end-all, in other words. Yeah. So I, I'm so glad that, that you came on to, 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 um, to mention that. And I would imagine there are many people, and not to, not, not to make light of people finding out about this, but many people will be finding out about this, you know, that there, there is a world outside the U.S. And um, not, to, not to be facetious or, or, or cheeky about yeah. it, but often when someone is focused on the pain they're in and focused on wanting the pain to go away and wanting to get better, it's so easy to lose sight of that. Yeah. So easy to lose sight of that. So, and, I, and I totally understand and not going off track. It is hard in the States for a lot of people. And that's absolutely. what I learned, you know, I was lucky enough, I had PPO, you know, there's HMO out there. Um, I was lucky enough to have PPO so I could choose in that 
uh, out of the network and all things like that. And then, you know, but the thing is, it doesn't end there. And I can understand how people can worry about mental health in the US is because, okay, your insurance might pay 80%, but you've got to still pick up the uh, downfall, the pitfall of 20%. And that's a lot of money for people. You know, and then if you need medication and you haven't got a good insurance plan, you know, it's going to be difficult, you know, because the the medication, the generic, the brand. And like here with Emma, with the NHS, the psychiatrist had to say she needs to be on this certain brand because what I'm learning about medication, it's all to do with the with how it's bound, you know, what is the, you know, how is it put together that medication? And it's night and day from brand to generic. Exactly. So, you know, where Emma, you know, is, is very lucky to have that here, uh, to, to have a doctor say, right, it's got to be brand and get charged nine pounds, you know, you know, it's a, it's a different ball game. And and one reason as well, specifically that when I went to my NHS GP and said, look, this needs to be prescribed is because I clearly have a sensitivity to certain medication. When I was on one medication, even though people say, Oh, well, you know, the same drug is the same drug, whatever. I said, no, this is working. So I want this one because the, the sensitivities, all I need is to have another one and something's, like you said, it's bound in a certain thing. So, um, yes, so that's the way it is. But, um, oh, sorry, sorry, one second. Yeah, <laughs> right, sorry, that's, uh, I'm, no keep, on, keep on talking because we're on audio, aren't we? So, yeah, so you yeah. keep on talking. Well, one of the things also is, and there's sorry, no sorry. way that this will, and undoubtedly what I'm gonna say will offend some people, but it also in large part with what you're talking about has to do with the leadership of, of, of a country. And in the US, we're at a moment in time where science and health and medicine is not treated with the same level of, of attention that other areas of the, and I'm trying to phrase this as diplomatically as possible so <laughs> as to not offend many people who, who may be listening. Yeah. Um, would you say that that would be a, a true statement? Is that it, because it, the leader of, of a country, one would think would have, it would be in their best interest to afford the necessary attention to, uh, to, to issues that would affect the very people that the leader is sworn to protect. Yeah, I, I understand that. And I, I think if we're on the same wavelength and, you know, politics is politics. And <laughs> I, I always believe to stay away from it. <laughs> but what you've got to understand, I did look at something and I don't want people to take offense who's listening to this podcast and things like that. But I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from a, someone who lived uh, in America. I am a full resident of America. Um, I have a green card and I'm also a citizen of the UK. What I will say is this, I did look at the Obamacare package and I found with friends I had in the US, they were still $18,000 out of pocket. I get that. 
I think Hillary Clinton, I believe, wanted to turn America into socialized medicine. It won't work. And why it won't work is because the United States is too big. And if you even cut it up into divisions and areas and things like that, it will still not work. But what people have got to be thankful of around the world is that these medications have come from one place, United States. They have put the money into the research. They've used, you know, the space shuttle program where they can go up and test and do medical testing up in space. You know, this is what you've got to realize is that, you know, the US are market leaders when it comes down to health. Yes, people are earning money out of it. There's no ifs, buts or how with that. But I feel that, you know, people around the world have to thank the United States for the reason is they have put the research in into these medications. And if it wasn't for that country, people wouldn't have the money in the UK to run that. And that's why I'm real close to, you know, I I do support the US. I, you know, I don't want to think that, you know, I'm just talking about the United States and not in the UK, (laughs) but it's night and day. It really is night and day with the healthcare system in this country. It is. And, and at the end of the day, these are universal topics. I mean, it's something where it does not end at a country's border. And so, yeah, absolutely. I I definitely hear hear what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, One thing I would say is that I was talking to someone the other day and the trouble is, especially in this country, if we had the money and had the foresight to put money into preventative medicine or preventative therapy to catch people before they have mental breakdowns or before um, a condition they have gets out of control or perhaps when they can be medicated earlier on. But there isn't the money to do that. So rather than be preventative, as we try to be now with encouraging people to lose weight so they don't develop diabetes, you know, type 2 diabetes, or to be healthy so people aren't going to hospital, having heart disease. I think that's more cut and dried of physical illness. I think with mental illness, it just doesn't seem worthwhile putting money into something you can't see. You may not even be able to see the product of it. And the trouble is with therapy here, the NHS may give you 12 sessions of therapy. And I know from people I go, that I know, they go to the therapy, they talk out some issues, but if it's not resolved by number 12, they go back to the doctor, and I've heard the doctor immediately give them antidepressants. But the 12 sessions of therapy, they're probably only at the start of cracking the underlying issues, and then it's reverting back to medication. And what's frightening is to diagnose in this country depression in more or less a 10 minute appointment, which is what you can get, is dangerous because with my psychiatrist, admittedly he was trying to get to the bottom of a problem. Um, I mean, I've been under him for two years now, but it took weeks and weeks of appointments to work it out, get me on track, get me on the right medicine. It wasn't an overnight fix. It's not one glove fits all with medication. It's complicated. And that's the trouble. As we've always said, you can scan a leg, you can scan a lung, you can scan a heart, and you can maybe get another opinion, and that's great. 
But when it comes to mental health, it's complicated. You can't scan the brain to, to work out a mental illness. Of course, sure. you can scan a brain for a tumour, but you can't scan a brain to tell you definitively what's wrong. What was the process, like you had mentioned a moment ago, about the, what was it the, the e ECT? Is that the, um, the, the electroshock? Yeah, I thinking of the what what was that process like if 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 I could ask um, it was so it used to be called electric shock therapy and they changed it at some point to be called electric convulsive therapy because I think electric shock therapy was actually talking film wise <laughs> it was what it was referred to in films like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest so I think what they wanted to do is step away from what you saw in the films. And years ago, from what I understand, it was given to people without any anaesthetic. So it was done when people were awake. So what happened, um, try to make the story short, because I was being told that I had treatment resistant depression. In other words, I wasn't getting over my depression. The medication wasn't working. As I'm saying, I didn't have depression. What they were saying is, well, the, the, the next step, and really it's quite a severe step, is if it's not if you're not getting better, that's really getting near the end of the road as to what can be done. So electric convulsive treatment has obviously been around for years and um, it can do wonders for people. You know, I, I don't deny that. People ask about it on some of the forums I'm on. I would never want to say anything against it because Paul has seen people that he knew in hospital and it changed their life. Mm. It, it literally changed people. It can change people from being catatonic. If that's oh, is the that done? Is that done in one session, or is it more than one session? No. no. What it is is they decide on a number of sessions. I know people that have had one or two, and that's it. I was prescribed twelve, which is quite an intensive course, twice a week. Mm. Um, the NHS does give you the ECT, which is where I had it. You can also have it done privately, but it's very, very expensive. But in the, the NHS, um, because I was sort of at the end of the road of what they believe they could do, um, you, you can, dare I say, it, you can more or less be forced in the end to have it if you don't agree. It's, uh, it has to be agreed and it has to be passed by doctors. So I was very fearful it was going to be uh, forced and I thought um, you know I, I looking back I should never have had it it causes memory loss it did cause memory loss it has I think I have side effects of it now if I really think about it I worry about maybe the future and what impact it has on my brain because what it is it, it gives you a seizure it gives you the equivalent of an epileptic seizure so you go under a general anaesthetic it puts a seizure through your brain with the electric currents and what it's meant to do is somehow work on your brain to start to reset it in some way. Mm -hmm. And then that was it. I had that twice a week. And then after the 10th session, um, my memory was wiped. Didn't know where I was, what, what had happened to me. And um, I've lost a lot of memory and I still have memory that I lose. And my short term um, isn't as good as it was. Um, but it can work for people. Obviously, I didn't need it. I shouldn't have had it. Um, I wasn't depressed. It's usually for very, very depressed people, isn't it? Severely depressed. Um, when medication isn't working anymore. 
What was there a treatment option that you would say had better success with? No, because they were treating me for depression and that's okay. where it was all going wrong because I was being treated for depression. The treatment options were antidepressants. For the psychosis, the treatment was antipsychotics. Mm -hmm. So when you come to the conclusion that you're not depressed or psychotic, neither of those treatments are going to work, which they never did. So when you're treatment resistant, i.e. medication doesn't work, electroconvulsive therapy is really where you're more or less getting to the end of being able to do anything. Mm -hmm. And obviously that wasn't going to work either because one of the main reasons people have that is to um, get you out of depression, very, very severe depression. So now, um, when you went that route, was that done on the correct diagnosis at, at the time? No, no, it was done. So on that the was done problem. under, under not, not the correct diagnosis. No, nope, severe depression. That's really the main reason why you have it. So it was the diagnosis of severe depression, treatment resistant. So medication wasn't working. So it's a non-medical intervention. And the belief was, is that that was the final option really to get me out of my depressive state. And as I've explained, I wasn't severely depressed. So obviously it was never going to do the job it can. If people do have severe depression, it can work. But if you're not depressed, then it's not gonna do the job at all. Um, now, was this something where there, there, was, there was forcible removal? Were, were, you, were, you, for, were you forcibly removed when this happened? No, ECT was once I'd gone into hospital. Now, what happens when you are sectioned um, under the NHS? Or you can be sectioned into the private sector, can't you? Yeah. It is when two doctors, not doctors that your own doctor, two doctors assess you and they will make the conclusion whether you should be taken to a secure unit because of whatever reasons it may be that you are not agreeing to be medicated you know they would say well you're not looking after yourself you are danger to yourself because you won't be medicated to get yourself better so you're assessed by two doctors and that was in my home and you present your case to them and they ask you lots of questions and they medically assess you having never met you before and on the basis of what they know and what they've been told they can section you and they can do it immediately so they section you immediately and immediately an ambulance comes to your house and you're taken away so that would be the the, the only time that you've been in contact with the, these authorities who make that determination then Yep, those two doctors you've never met before. Now, they would have been provided with notes and documents from the NHS, but as I explained before, if your notes have followed you all the way and they've said the same thing, you would hope that two doctors come to you, like my current psychiatrist did, with a clean slate and talk to you again, but there's too much documentary evidence that follows you. So therefore, I don't believe they make a completely um, balanced view. So, um, and as I've said to a few people, I don't know if it's out of a Shakespeare uh, book, the lady doth protest too much. When you protest <laughs> so vehemently, yeah. you are becoming, you're sounding more and more mentally unstable because of it's like an obsessive thought. So how do you get that balance? Because if you're so obsessed by a thought that is actually true, how do you portray it in a way that doesn't make you look mentally unstable? So it's a very tricky one.
Yeah. Can I say, where do both of you stand as far as, and, I, and I'm sure both of you have seen this in some, some manner of um, either recommendation or advice or whatnot, where do you stand on the whole issue of reducing Obviously, the reducing negative information and re reducing negative influence is always uh, recommended and always advisable, but specifically turning off the news or limit, eliminating exposure to the news for the reason that it's often negative and upsetting and, and triggering and whatnot. Uh, one of the things that I, that I found, just speaking for myself, is when, uh, and I've not, and speaking of someone who, who's not turned it off completely, but has reduced the intake, if that makes sense, and rather than watch news for one time, I'll, I'll maybe listen to a different podcast or whatnot um, instead of that. Where, where do you stand on that whole, um, you know, turn off the news sort of thing? Where do you stand on that um, school of thought in, in terms of, mental health well you can talk specifically at the moment well at the moment um with our prime minister um <laughs> he was <laughs> he was um always doing a press conference every night on corona now the thing is with corona i find it quite triggering for my anxiety um because when you suffer from anxiety and panic attacks I'm one of these where I need to believe the information I'm getting is true. And I also, I'm one of these, why go outside and mix with people when we've got this virus going on, you know, that's, that's just staying for right now. That's just deal with it. Then people meeting out meeting in crowds and, um, you know, so to me, I switched on the uh, switched off the television from about March, and all I would not still watch the news at all. And I used to uh, listen to a radio station over here called LBC, and people phoning and they talk about different things, and that just turned into coronavirus. So I switched that off. So yeah, I've had a lot of issues with you know the news. Because with someone with a mental illness like I have, with the anxiety, it just doesn't help matters, to be honest. So you, so you are partial to that as well then, just limiting yeah. the exposure. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah, that's what, and again, I, and I know I might sound like an idiot coming to that realization, but that is something when, when you get to that point where you, you decide, okay, well, this is not making me happy. This is not making me feel any better. No. It really does. It really does make a big difference. It really it does. does. Rather than rather than watching this, listen to this podcast. You know, your your podcast, for example, that's would be a better investment of time than a half hour of something negative that doesn't tell you anything. That you know what I mean. So it's so when I. Like I said, I undoubtedly sound like an idiot when I've very belatedly come to that realization. Yeah. Because yeah, it, it, you know. It's really, I mean, for, for Paul, it's obviously, I think with coronavirus, I think it was from when we went into lockdown, we had the daily um, conference. So it was with Boris Johnson, but it was like the 
chief medical officer. Um, so it was the two sort of top medics. And um, yeah, you, you said you just found it too much to deal with. I, I quite like listening to it in a way that, I don't know how to describe it. I, it was the feeling that we were going through something very unusual and very unique. And it's a bit like when things that happen in time that you kind of not want to be part of, but you know when it's something that is quite, well, that will never ever happen again, we hope. And it was something where you feel like you sort of you're coming together as a nation. Everyone's sitting down at five o'clock and we're all in lockdown. But then after a while, I think it just became very monotonous, very boring. Um, it was distressing as the numbers were going up because that's what they did every day. They told you the number of deaths every day. So you would be told every day as they go up and up and up. Um, so, yeah, I think now it's good to see that the news, there's more to the news now. Stories are, you know, you look at a paper online and it isn't just coronavirus. There's lots more happening. It's interesting now, we're now moving into mental health post-corona. There's a lot of articles <laughs> yes. about that. So, that. so the mental health is coming to the fore. And that's part of the reason why we ended up doing the podcast when we did. We had the time to focus on it. It took a lot of preparation, but actually it seemed the time, you know, mental health is always in the news. But when we've come out of this, I was writing something today and nobody has come out this unaffected. Children have been affected. People are saying even animals have been affected. People yeah. are saying even like their dogs have been affected oh, because they have absolutely. to get out of that. You know, it, it, when absolutely. you look at it, everybody's being affected. And... Um, but I'm, I'm able to gloss over. I think I don't analyse as much as Paul does. I mean, you get affected by these things. I can sort of take it in and let it go. But we're a very different personality. So I think we ingest the yeah, information and, very differently. And with me, it just, you know, a lot of people just are not able to do as they're told. Bottom line. You right. know, why go to a beach in the UK with about 40,000 people on there when we've got coronavirus. I, I, sure. It puzzles me. <laughs> and why I get upset is because these people, all of them virtually, you know, there's not many people who've got private health in the UK compared to the NHS. All they're going to do is put extra pressure on the NHS to have to deal with them if sure. they go down with corona. Sure. And, you know, with me, um, I was affected with corona because my parents both had it. And they were in hospital within three days of each other. How, so how... I know exactly how bad it can be. And it's not great. It's not great when you have it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely not. So it's just people, yeah, getting back to your question, yeah, I'd rather switch off the TV and save a little bit on my anxiety and panic attacks, to be honest. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I totally hear you. And, and I'm someone who's in somewhat of a quandary as far as news because I do prefer newspaper, um, reading the, the actual literal hard copy newspaper, which I don't know how it is in, um, in England, but in the US, many of the newspapers have reduced page numbers. So what would previously had been the equivalent to a huge Sunday New York Times newspaper is now minimized to maybe, uh, you know, a, a 10 page for the entire newspaper, all sections. Um, wow. So it's, it's, 
and plus it 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 it's frees you from having the visceral reaction because it's simply words on a page or pictures on a page whereas on on a tv screen it's right there in, in your face so that's been another moment where i decide okay well these newspapers i can't there's no newspaper to read off it it's it's not at that point yet but it almost feels like that um people are saying if we jump back even 10 years and we'd had this then we wouldn't have had the social media like there is oh absolutely you know, even on local forums even around where i live people stir each other up um and there was just a frenzy of one message was sent out and people would say, this is a local forum. We usually talk about roadworks that are going on or something. <laughs> We're in the middle of coronavirus and everybody starts arguments about bonfires, whether they should have been lit, you know, people are suffering with coronavirus symptoms. And what it was is you were seeing all this pent up antagonism about not being able to go out, coming out on all these other ways. And I think, it, everyone said it'd been very interesting if it had been a number of years ago because we wouldn't have been having all the Facebook and the Twitter and all of that discussion, maybe a bit longer. So I think social media and TV and radio have got a lot to answer for because what everyone was saying is the media is stirring everyone up as well and everybody's stirring each other up. Actually, what it should be is a daily broadcast with the information we need to be told and that's it. Uh, exactly. But there was too much discussion. On, on everything, which is what should happen in a, a democracy where there's True. differences of opinion. <laughs> but, um, you know, we don't live in a communist state. But I think there was too much um, of a frenzy about information. But thankfully, things are calming down a little bit. Thankfully. But um, it's I don't know when the coronavirus discussion will ever end. I mean, at the moment, it's just a lot of discussion about mask wearing on the news at the moment, isn't there? Yeah. Well, one thing I was wondering about is what, um, since you started the podcast, um, was there anything, um, any, any new insights or new perspectives that, that, that you, you learned or, or got on your radar that you didn't know about previously? Was there anything that really has jumped out at you as far as new stuff that, that, you you've become aware of no i think for me the feedback we've got is the feedback i wanted but you don't know whether you're going to get that feedback before it comes so you know a lot of people have said well it's you know it's a very brave thing to get your story out there and that kind of thing but i would say that the feedback we've had is really encouraging um i would say also i'm hoping that it will get people more discussion, the people that we're speaking to now about coming on. I think people open up a lot, if you've opened up. I've noticed that in my own life, but now after the podcast, people you talk to, well, because you put your life out there and people, have, well, people could judge me if they listen to my story, but they know that I wouldn't be judgmental in any way. And I think that helps as well. People are very open. Um, and that's encouraging because, um, some people probably wouldn't have wanted to talk about it, but it's just been really, really nice to actually have good feedback. Um, and from, from all different angles and, you know, people who are professionals as well that have given us good feedback. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a good reaction. Whether I've noticed any, like trying to pick up anything along the way, 
it's early days, you never know. But um, what about you? Well, what about me? Some people say I'm a bit moody, but they, 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 wouldn't, be, <laughs> they wouldn't be far wrong. And uh, also a little bit direct. But the thing is, I don't believe in beating around the bush. And, and that's, that's why it's me. It's my character. And, you know, I, I'm not out there to you know, hurt anyone or, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say how it is because there's a lot of people who, you know, they try and sugarcoat it. And I think it needs to be, this is the problem with mental health. People, you know, want to put it, sweep it under the carpet with me. You know, I don't mind saying to someone, well, I've got a mood disorder and, and severe depression and things like that. But um, I think that's just character of me. So, um, as I say, bit difference with Emma. She's more than a happy one. But um, here's what it is. <laughs> Definitely. And, and, and like I said, I, I, I find your podcast to be a, a valuable resource. I, I really do. Uh, more so because, and I alluded to this earlier, I, I think it's important, particularly for those of us in the U.S. who often feel like we're in, in a maze or banging our head against a brick wall, that there are resources and avenues outside the U.S. if only to get more information and resource. So absolutely, yeah. it's something where I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to see that, that, that you, you have this available. Yeah, it's, in, it's important. Definitely. Um, the... Um, was there anything that, that I did not ask you that I probably should ha have asked? Because I want to be sure well, that I... No, I think we've covered a lot, actually. We, okay. You know, it's... Uh, I can ramble on a little bit, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, it, it's all valid points, really. Um, I think what's really encouraging is because of the reach of social media, you know, we've connected and we're speaking to you and it's encouraging that um, that you know you can spread the word more wisely. We're not just stuck within our little island that we're we're stuck on. And actually, uh, mental illness, the discussion, you know, it can be talked about in any language or in any country, and the similarities are there for everybody. And for me as well, I do think now, from what I've experienced and what I've gone through. Mental illness doesn't have a language of its own as far as clinical language, but people that have been there have their own language of empathy, I True. think. True. And you really do find that someone that's been through something, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but if it's involved your brain of any, of, on any level, even people I've spoken to that have had brain injuries yeah. from accidents, when it comes to the brain and having had issues with the brain, whatever issue it would have been, I think you end up speaking to people and you're speaking the same language because you get it and um, the empathy's there. So I think that's important. Well, I, again, I, I wanted to thank you both for, for, for coming on. Um, I, I do appreciate it. I did want to, now, now before we wrap up for, for the day, um, I did want to mention a couple of resources for uh, people to, um, to look into. Um, the, the key word today uh, you both alluded to was uh, research. And I know that there's Mental Health America, which is mhanational.org. There's also National Alliance on Mental Illness, nami.org. 
Um, I know there's some that are that um, would there be any others that, that you that you would recommend? I know you mentioned the was that the, the Samaritans. Samaritans is a helpline. Um, I think they do have their own website, but the one I always refer people to is called Mind M I N D. It's a mental health charity, and it's got the most fantastic website. Um, and, and that's that's mind.org.uk? No, it should be. Um, I'll get Paul to check. It should be mind.co.uk. We'll double check. Okay, mind.co.uk? Yeah, let's Paul will check for me. But uh, sorry, we should have got this before. Mm -hmm. But the thing about mind is it has um, videos of people that have suffered. It has um, links to medication. So on the MIND website, it takes you through all medication, what it's called, um, explanation, but it is an official source. So therefore, when you go to it, and I always feel comfortable referring people to it because it's a very well-established charity, fantastic yeah. website. They do have a, a helpline. But literally anything you'd want to know about mental health, even when I was sectioned, you know, the law about sectioning, all on there. So absolutely brilliant website. That's the one I always refer people to. And the Samaritans as well. There's a text line, isn't there? Yeah, there's a text line for the Samaritans, which is 116123. Okay, um, so that's, that's another one then that I could probably mention then. Um, yeah, the, uh, what, the mind or the Samaritans. Okay, yeah, so good. Samaritans is the helpline, and yeah, Samaritans so probably do have their own website, but what they are, the Samaritans have always been a helpline that you can call, and there are volunteers in the local area, yeah. and people answer. Now there is a text line, uh, 116123, for the Samaritans, and Mind, which is the website I mentioned, they do have a helpline on there. Uh, I think it's only open certain times of the day, but they also do have an advice line. So you've got mind. So it's, it's mind.org.uk. It is actually, apologies. Okay. So mind.org.uk. Brilliant website. Absolutely fantastic. So everything can, yeah, that would be the best thing to go on mind.org.uk. Okay, good deal. So I believe that's all we have for today then. So. Um, Paul and Emma, I do thank you for um, checking in with me today. Um, thank you, those of you at home or at work or wherever you are maybe listening to this uh, podcast. Um, stay safe, and I will um, talk with you next, um, next episode. Th thank you for listening. <laughs>